Well, hello and welcome to another episode of Encouraging Others Through Christ. My name is Cliff Ravenscraft, and today I want to share with you some of the pages that I journaled this morning. I am recording this on Friday, June 17th, 2022, and I started this journaling experience at 9 o'clock this morning. And it went on for an hour and 43 minutes. Now, I don't anticipate that it's going to take me an hour and 43 minutes to go through this journal entry with you, but um, let's just see where it goes. So what prompted me is this verse in Matthew chapter 10, verse 27. In the NIV, it says, what I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear proclaim from the roofs. Now, this is a scripture that has spoken to me for some time now. This is not the first time it's come up for me, but it has come back into my awareness as a result of some conversations. And especially when it comes to this idea of this intuition, that inner voice, that inner voice of God that seems to be prompting giving you visions, uh, and or giving me visions, I should say. Let me just put this in the personal. I'm not necessarily certain that I know what's going on in your own personal journey, or if you resonate with anything I'm about ready to say. And by the way, I just want to state for the record that everything that I'm about ready to say to you in this episode is simply my experience. It's my current set of beliefs. I'm not suggesting that anything that I currently experience or that what I currently believe is absolute truth. I encourage you to take everything with your own discernment and and just go within to find out, does this resonate as true with me? And, and uh, you know, test all the spirits. In fact, that might even come out in this uh, journey here. So now what I anticipate after, I, as I was writing these pages this morning in the journal, I had a vision of myself sharing this in a podcast episode. And that's why I'm here. Now, how much I'm going to read and just stick to what I've written on the pages, I'm not sure, but I feel like I may kind of uh, extemporaneously speak at times as well. So here's what I wrote. In Matthew chapter 10, we are told of when Jesus called his 12 disciples to himself and how he gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. Now, I wrote down and put a big, huge star. This was before Jesus' death on the cross, obviously, <laughs> uh, and before Pentecost. This is before they... You know, the, the, the apostles were and the disciples that were in the upper room were filled with the Spirit of God, right? So this is, this is early on in the ministry of, of the disciples. Jesus is calling these disciples to himself, and now that he's trained them, educated them through some ways, and he's now giving them this authority to go out and do this ministry, to do this work, to drive out impure spirits, and to heal every disease and sickness. Now, as I wrote all of that in my journal, I felt prompted to write on the page, in a different color ink, mind you, why are so many Christians afraid of angels, ancestors, 
and spirit guides. You see, when I began to explore things that were outside of my upbringing as far as doctrine and Orthodox Christianity, and this is what we all believe together, and and these are the things you should stay away from. And when I began to study a little bit more of an understanding of some people's experiences with God from an Eastern perspective, from the Hindu traditions and Buddhist traditions and other philosophies of the world, some of my community had reached out and said, Cliff, you've got to be careful. Some of these people worship their ancestors and, and you know, they, they have, you know, they pray to their ancestors and there, there's these people that, that are trying to awaken this sleeping serpent within them, the kundalini and all of this other stuff. And, and, and I received that. And as I continued to go forth, I, I prayed, God, will you protect me from anything that's unsafe, that's not for, that that you would not want me to experience, you know, I'd pray for this protection. And Romans 8 chapter, I'm sorry, yeah, Romans chapter 8, verses 38 through 39, uh, paraphrased in my own words is, you know, hey, I am convinced that neither there is nothing in all creation, neither height nor depth, angel nor demon, any principality or power, nothing in all creation, nothing can separate me from the love of God that is in Christ, in, in Christ Jesus our Lord. So as I went and did that, I'm like, okay, well, if I study and I read people and who tend to have some incredibly amount of an incredible amount of respect for their ancestors, that they seek wisdom and guidance from their ancestors. It, there are some people out there who might pray for uh, spirit guides to lead them, you know, and 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 it's like, oh, you got to be careful because that that opens you up to all these de- demonic spirits. Is is what I had felt inside and what I had heard from others, and so this is where I wrote this question. Is why I wrote this question. Why are so many Christians afraid of angels, ancestors, and spirit guides? Now, I can tell you, because I was writing this this morning, why did this question come out? And it has everything to do with he gave them authority to drive out impure spirits. And for some reason, it then took me down this 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 little rabbit trail. And it's only as I continued to journal this morning that I now see why this conversation was so relevant to Matthew chapter 10, verse 27. So, here's what I wrote down in blue ink. Why are so many Christians afraid of angels, ancestors, and spirit guides? In Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 through 13, we learn that Jesus took Peter, James, and John up to a high mountain to be alone. I believe they all entered deep meditative state, or a deep meditative state. Now, that's my own personal belief. All right, at this point, Jesus entered into his non-physical astral body, and then he called Moses and Elijah to himself for counsel, for wisdom, for advice, to have a conversation, to confer, all right? Now, who are... Moses and Elijah, if not Jesus's ancestors. Hmm. So we don't have a problem with Jesus 
praying and having conversations in a deep meditative state with his ancestors. But sometimes, you know, we have problems with other people who do, and that's a their regular practice. And then my next thing was, why would Jesus bring Peter, James, and John to witness this, if not to demonstrate the value of such an experience? And of course, we know of many scriptures that refer to angels coming to bring messages from God to man. And my question to myself is, why would God stop sending angels to work on our behalf? Uh, you know, is, is, is there some place at some point from the time Jesus died and was resurrected that there's some, for some reason, it's like, okay, angels are no longer a valid form of communication to man. And, you know, and of course, the thing is, is that, well, you know, if we don't need any other message than the Bible, <laughs> that that's the way that I was conditioned to believe as I grew up and went through life. And and I, I still believe today that we were given this transfiguration experience to story to understand that Jesus talked about the value of going into deep meditation, to being, to, to, to setting aside our identity to the physical form and to be one with the, our creator, the father, if you will, to be co- connected with God. And it's in that space that you can call forth the Father directly and, and, and communicate with direct with Him. You can connect with angels. You can connect with uh, your ancestors. And in, in, in the circles that I'm in, I, there are many that will also connect with, they call it spirit guides. And yeah, I do believe there are many impure spirits out there, but Jesus was very clear that he had given them authority to drive out any impure spirits. We have protection. We have this power. We have this authority to, to, to there, there is no impure spirit that can stand against those who are, who are one in Christ. So, all right, going back here, of course, we know of many scriptures of that refer to angels coming back to bring me- or coming to bring messages from God to man. I feel certain that what I have been experiencing with one of my ancestors and including my grandmother, they're just examples of what Jesus's experience on the mountain was during the transfiguration. And of course, I directly re- relate my own personal experiences with Jesus himself, which I'm not afraid to admit that I have in deep meditation have had union and conversation with Jesus, that we sat side by side next to a, a, a little, a, a large pond, a small lake that was absolutely the stillest water surface you've ever seen in your life. And it was a pure reflection of the images of the surrounding trees and the mountains and the sky above. And Jesus and I sitting on this grouse, grassy area together, just having a conversation and I'm also not afraid to tell you that in one of my meditations, I was taken on a journey into the woods and came across a cave, and inside I sat and had a conversation with Mary Magdalene. 
And I'm not afraid to confess and admit today that I have had an experience in deep meditation where I've had conversations multiple times when I've sat with Yogananda, the author of the book Autobiography of a Yogi. So, you know, the I and now I'm not saying that my my experiences are real or true. I believe them to be. But again, as I shared my disclaimer at the beginning, these are my experiences, and I'm not afraid to fully express who I am and what I'm experiencing. And more importantly, I test all of these experiences to say, what is the fruit of this? Does this cause me to live a life that is more Christ-like or less? And so far, everything that I've experienced has led me to experience more and more of what I feel called to experience in this life in this life as a result of unconditional love and light. So, all right. Then I put here note, transfiguration is defined as dot 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 and I think this is from either the Oxford dictionary or one of the very popular dictionaries, a complete change of form or appearance into a more beautiful or spiritual state. Now, let me ask you this. Have you ever been transfigured in your time of prayer? My guess is that if you truly are a follower of, of Jesus and, uh, and devoted to him, or even if you're not Christian and you're listening to this and you've entered into a deep meditative state, wanting to connect to the source of all that is, my guess is that at some point you experienced a shift in your state of being and you have maybe experienced a lot more peace. You've experienced maybe a presence, a, a, an all-consuming presence that is filled with love and light and, and that there's a sense of lightness instead of the heaviness of the burdens that we carry through life. So, I believe that we were given this experience, or at least the story of the experience, that Jesus demonstrated his transfiguration to, who was it, Peter, James, and John up on that mountain. I believe that he did this to demonstrate to them the value of such experiences, to be transfigured. Pray, thy kingdom come right here in my soul, in my spirit, in my heart space, Thy kingdom come right here on earth as it is in heaven. May they be one. All right. Anyway, so, okay, now I'm back to my purple ink. (laughs) Okay, back to Matthew chapter 10, verse 27. We learn that those who are connected to Christ have authority to drive out impure spirits. Now, I will tell you, I absolutely believe that I have also been given this authority, this power. In my union with Christ, I believe that I have the power, and just by my words alone, my intention alone, I can drive out any impure spirit, any demon, any force, any energy that is not for my highest good and that is not in alignment with the will of my Creator. Now, I wrote down here, this is not something that was ever taught to me 
as normal practice in my Christian living. Now, I will tell you that I was a part of certain denominations that had a lot more to do with, you know, praying to, you know, against the demons and stuff like that. But there was a lot, I've got a lot of different varied experiences in a lot of denominations uh, in the Protestant church. And then I also have experience in the Catholic churches as well. So I, or the Catholic church, singular, I guess one would, some would argue. But anyway, just different types of Catholic churches, different um, parishes, if you will, and, and different teachings from different te- people. But anyway, um, it just wasn't a normal thing. It, it's it's kind of like there were some that emphasized it and a lot that did not. And let's see here. The next one is also, does this not suppose that there are bene- also bene- benevolent and pure spirit beings that we might call upon to aid us in our work on this earth? And I, I think that that is the case. And some of these spirits would be, I would say that, that Jesus was calling upon a pure spirit, an ancestor, such as Moses, and another pure spirit, an ancestor, such as Elijah, who he, he called on. And, and I believe they are pure spirits who have passed on from physical form and who have uh, experienced this oneness with our Creator and who are in Christ as well, and he and he demonstrated that we could do this. All right, next bullet point. Also, here we have Jesus' disciples who are granted the authority and power to heal sickness and disease. Heck, they were even told to, quote-unquote, raise the dead. Simply see verse 8. Now, these disciples were not all trained, licensed, and certified medical professionals. Perhaps Luke, the physician, uh, had some pre prequalifications that might have qualified him. But these disciples were sent out, and if I remember correctly, weren't they sent out two by two? So certainly some of the duos went out, had no medical training whatsoever, but I believe that they did have energy, healing, understanding, and training. Now, I'm not going to go into too much more of that, but you know, we'll just leave this for where it's at. He did give them the power and the authority. And I would imagine there was some education, some teaching that went along with this as he was demonstrating his own uh, healings that he was doing. Now, why have Christians today stopped the healing services available to us through the connection to Christ consciousness? That's just a question. Now, don't get me wrong. I know that there are many circles within many denominations that are focused on the healing gifts and the healing ministries. And in a lot of a, a majority of Protestant Christian circles, these people are often criticized and 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 there's a and, and rightfully so in some cases I would say I of course I don't know I did anyway it, it, it's just it's just interesting and that, that that's all I will just say I'm just gonna say that I have no conclusions on on who is doing things you know with what motives and what purposes and all this other stuff but I do identify that there are some Christian circles out there that do focus on our gift and our authority to also bring healing uh, to sickness and disease and and that, you know, we have this gift, this power within us. Now, 
one of the things that has been in my own experience, and this is not my journal, but I have experience with uh, learning and studying and being exposed to the idea that it's actually, it's the individual that does the healing within themselves, but it is their faith in that that this this is able to happen that brings about the healing. And this reminds me of the number of times when Jesus said, your faith has healed you. So anyway, um, so why have Christians stopped uh, the healing? Why have those Christians who have stopped healing, uh, that's a better way of uh, of asking this question, why have those Christians who have stopped the healing services available to us done so? And then I wrote this question, is it because we have defined the person of Jesus, the human body, as the human body, rather than the Christ consciousness for which Jesus identified himself to us. As a Christian, I used to pray to Jesus to heal others, yet it is clear that he was very instructive that we have this authority and that it is and that is in this passage of Matthew chapter 10, verses 1 through 42, Jesus sent his disciples out to practice this healing work without his physical presence. All right? Now, it says here, today, when I think about the teaching teaching words of Jesus, I think of these words not coming from a human deity, but as one who, as a person who is fully identified with and speaks as Christ consciousness. Now, I'm not going to go into a great depth of discussion of what I've learned and discovered and 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 now currently believe about Christ and Christ consciousness. If you wanted to do such research, it wouldn't take much for you to go out there and just do a Google search, what is Christ consciousness, and see where that might lead. Although some people would be very afraid of where that might be lead, where I where it might lead, and for those who are afraid and fearful, I don't recommend that you pursue it. Don't do anything that brings about fear. But I will tell you that I I believe that fear is not from God. And Romans eight thirty eight says your Google search is not going to separate you from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus your Lord. So I'll just drop that right there. But Um, So today, when I think about the teaching words of Jesus, I think of the words not coming from a human deity, but as one who has fully identified with and as Christ consciousness, and that he, I'm sorry, and that the quote-unquote good news is that we all have access to this oneness with Christ consciousness. In fact, if we look at John chapter 17, verse 21, Jesus prayed this, I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, or God, Creator, and I am in you, Christ, Christ consciousness, and may they be in us, God, Father, Creator, source of all that is, and us being Christ consciousness, so this world will believe that you sent me, Christ consciousness. All right? That's my personal interpretation of this scripture. And then I put, I imagine that in the above is interpreted Christ consciousness in all of the personal pronouns. So I just put that little note there. All right. What is important to me right now? is that this Christ consciousness and attunement was available to man 
before the death of Jesus on the cross. All right. So in in all of my upbringing, and, and I'm not discounting uh, the story and the potential things that I don't understand about the death and the resurrection of Christ, I believe I I, I believe in that story. Um, I don't know that I believe in everything that I've been told about that story, but and 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 I I do sense that there's something and there's something incredibly significant. But I have attributed so much of our access to Christ being in the fact that. You know, he came and and then all of a sudden he he did this thing and that's what gave us access to all of these powers, this authority, if you will. But it's clear that that he gave twelve disciples uh, this authority to raise the dead. Even and of course, I'll get to that in my journal here in a bit. One other thing that speaks to me from Matthew chapter ten verse twenty seven is that our quiet time of meditation that in our quiet time of meditation, we experience this oneness with our creator through that or this Christ consciousness. It is here that we can hear clearly the messages from our higher self, our soul, if you will, our father, our source, the creator of all that is. It is in this union that we get our guidance for what we for what to do in this human experience. And I wrote that this is demonstrated in Mark chapter 1 verses 29 through 39. Now in Mark chapter 1 verses 29 through 39, we learn that Jesus went to the home of Simon and Andrew. Now this is after a long day at the synagogue, mind you. First, Jesus healed Simon's mother-in-law from a terrible fever. And then that evening, after the sun had gone down, the people of the town brought, get this, all of the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door. And my guess is that this was probably a very late night for Jesus, after what had already probably been an incredibly long day at the synagogue, right? Yet, in spite of this long day and this incredibly long night, we read that, and this is a quote from Mark chapter 1, verse 35, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Now, when I think of Jesus praying, I used to think about him sitting down, kneeling on it, or, or kneeling down on his knees. And often the pictures of Jesus illustrated Jesus praying in such a way. And, and there's no doubt in my mind that maybe he had done that. Um, but my, today, I mostly think of Jesus when I think about him going off to a solitary ta- place and praying. I think of Jesus doing so in a deep, meditation, and oftentimes sitting in what might be called the lotus posture, much in the same way as those from Eastern traditions sit in a meditation posture with their, they're seated on the ground, or, well, they're seated, and, and they have their legs crossed, and their their spine is upright, and and they they sit in this position, in this meditative state. Now, to, now again, 
I'm not telling you that you should adopt any of Cliff's beliefs, but to me, when I think about Jesus very early in the morning going off to a dark place, a solitary place, uh, to pray, I, I see him not kneeling, but I see him sitting in lotus posture. I see him sitting in a, in this very uh, traditional yogic or yogi uh, style meditation posture. Anyway, um, let's see here. Now, the next thing I have written, I imagine Jesus recharging his physical form or his body, his human body, on a quick charger. Remember, I, I, I think he had an incredibly long day at the synagogue. I think he had an incredibly long afternoon and evening with lots of healing and, and lots of, of, of this energy work that he was doing. And I do believe that he did get some shut-eye. I believe that he did fall asleep and and um, he rested his physical body. But to be able to fully recharge, it, the trickle charge of sleep was maybe not what was necessary to, to do what he wanted to do next. And so this is why I imagine him getting up early in the morning and going off to this solitary place to be alone and to tap into the direct connection to this cosmic life force that is the source of all energy, which is our Father, Creator, God. That's what I have mostly, through most of my life, called God, our Creator. But I don't believe that God is a man at all. Uh, I, I believe that God is the source of all that is. But using this language, that's that's what I believe he was doing. He tapped into that. And I think through that time of meditation, it was able to restore his physical form beyond what hours and hours of sleep would be able to do. All right. Also, and this is back to my journal, in this time of meditation, Jesus is at one with his source, Creator Father. Jesus taught his this type of detail. A type of meditation or yoga to his disciples. I think of John chapter 8, verse 38a. I am telling you what I have seen in the Father, Father's presence. All right? And then I also think of John chapter 5, verses 19 through 20a. Very, very truly, I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. And then, of course, I'm reminded of John chapter 12, verses 49 through 50. For I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me, or me, Christ consciousness, the Father who sent you this Christ consciousness, commanded me, this Christ consciousness, to say all that I have spoken. I know that this command leads to eternal life. So what I say is just what the Father has told me to say. So, referring back to Mark chapter 1, verses 29 through 39, Jesus got up early in the morning before before daylight to meditate and pray. And there he entered this oneness state with the Father to get instructions of what to do and what to say next. Now, that next that morning, his disciples were looking for him. They went out to find him, and when they found him, they didn't say they did not. It doesn't say that they said, "Oh my gosh, everybody's looking for you." No, 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 no. They exclaimed, 
everyone is looking for you. What the heck are you doing up here? Do you know how many people are waiting? They exclaimed. Go look up the definition of exclaimed and, and decide why was that word chosen to interpret what, what Jesus actually was, or what the disciples were doing when they found Jesus. They were exclaiming that everyone is looking for you. Now, at this point, I personally imagine the size of the crowd that has built up overnight at the home of Simon and Andrew. I imagine Jesus trying to sneak out without being noticed by those who were camping out on the front lawn of of Simon and Andrew's house so that he could go and, and not be detected and meditate in this solitude. And while his disciples were certain that Jesus, once they heard about this large crowd that had been assembled for day two of healing with Jesus at the home of Simon and Andrew, Jesus simply said to them, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. Now, see, this is the thing is is oftentimes in my life, there have been times when I follow the promptings that, that I feel God has given me to go and do a thing. And then I go and do a thing and it gets incredible results. And, and for me, it's oftentimes that I'm led to do those things through a lot of time of prayer and meditation. And even before I had the art of meditation that I use and practice in the past two and a half years of my life, uh, going on three years now, this deep meditation, uh, but even I'd always sought the direction of God. I'd, I'd like, I'm God, I'm coming to you. I'm really at a loss for what to do next. I really need some direction. I need some discernment. And then I feel that inner guidance. I feel that prompting. Some doorways open up for me. Some synchronicities lead me to down a certain path. And I find this great success. And then all of a sudden, my human form says, well, gosh, I'm experiencing so much success here. I really don't need anything right now. And I don't know about you, but it was in those times for me when I would stop seeking that union with God. I would stop seek, I would stop having those conversations like, hey, thanks for all of that. This is great. I've got lots of things to do here. And, And I would get busy continuing to serve the same people who would just come along because I have developed quite a following here. I would I developed a a good a, a good source of revenue or a good source of 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 fulfillment out of this work. And so I'm reminded of the number of times when I had built my insurance career to a very large amount of success and then through my time with God, I, it's, it's like, okay, it's time for, do you see what I'm doing here? Do you see this podcast stuff? Do you see this things over here? This is what I want you to do next. And I'm like, but I don't know how to do that. That's okay. We got this. Come on, let's do it. And it took a long time for me. It took about a year of, of hearing that over and over again. Um, actually, it took, it took nine months before I finally said, okay, let's do it. Uh, but then it was three months of, of transition because I, I wanted to give my, my parents in the family business uh, meant, you know, three months of, of opportunity to transition me out of there and to replace me if they needed to or wanted to. So 
but then I, I began, you know, this work. It's like, okay, what am I going to do? And then synchronicities led, and I started to pray. And it's like, Cliff, I'll tell you what, based upon your prayers and what you're doing, I'm going to show you how you can meet all those financial needs in a way that you believe is possible because currently you have some limited beliefs about what you can do to provide for yourself. And I'm going to work with where you are, and I'm going to take you on a journey. So why don't you become the podcast answer man? And through that, I'm still going to allow you to do this work that I've called you to do, this EOTC, this encouraging others through Christ. I'm still going to allow you to do that. And and you're going to build incredible success doing this. Now, he didn't tell me this, but uh, but over time, I experienced an incredible amount of success doing that. And then it became clear that he's like, hmm, I think it's time for you and I to venture away from the podcast coaching and consulting. Do you see now that this is not the fullest expression of the value that you have to do and the work that I've called you to do on this world? I have more to do that is in more pure alignment with EOTC, with encouraging others through Christ. That's what I've always, that's what you've been called to do from the time you came to this earth. You have been here to EOTC, encourage others through Christ. And I want you to do this in even a more pure form. And you can't do that by sticking with what's been working and what has been so profitable. So it's time for you to shut it down. Now, it took more than nine months for me to hear that message and heed it. So that took more like a year and a half, almost two years. But finally, it it worked. And uh, through some great synchronicities, it became clear, okay, now's the time. I cannot cannot put this off any purpose, any further. Uh, so, and, and it was through a lot of prayer and meditation. And again, all of even that transition from Podcast Answer Man to Mindset Answer Man, which happened in November 2017, that was still me seeking God. And it's like, hmm, okay, th- th- I would like to stay connected with you this time and be a little bit more, you know, on the ball with, with these desired transitions, these things that you are showing me. Anyway, I wrote now back to my journal. All of that was just off the top of my head. But now back in my journal. It is in our time of cosmic connection with our creator that we remain grounded in our divine purpose. Now we can go back to Matthew chapter 10, verse 27. Jesus is about to send his disciples out with their authority to heal and drive out impure spirits and to raise the dead. Note, while I do believe that, it is, that they, they, being the disciples, may have actually physically raised physically dead people, I believe the main focus of this ministry, this work, was to raise these people from their spiritual death. The the fact that they had lost their connection to Christ consciousness at some point in the past. And that this ministry was to bring about the resurrection of their Christ consciousness within themselves, aka the second coming of Christ. Now again, I know this flies way outside of the comfort zone of of where I used to be in my theology as a Orthodox Christian, and I, I'm no longer an Orthodox Christian uh, when it comes to to these beliefs these days. I still believe in the teachings of Christ. I am a disciple of Christ. 
I am a follower of Christ, but uh, but from a whole different understanding of what that means and who he was and what this work is about. And and I again, these are this is what I believe, not what I'm trying to teach. Um, I'm just sharing because that's that's what God has called me to do. That's the work. That's the EOTC, encouraging others through this Christ connection that has risen within me. So um, then I wrote down here, to do this work effectively, Jesus instructed his disciples to keep their practice of meditation early in the morning before it is daylight. It is there that they will do as Jesus has done, which is to experience this oneness with Father, source creator of all that is, and that they would be shown what they were to do and what they would be and that and they and so that they would be told what to say. And then I wrote down here, Jesus said, What I, Christ's consciousness, who is one with you, what I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear as you remain attuned with me, me being Christ consciousness, which is one with you. As you remain attuned with me throughout your day, proclaim from the rooftops whatever is whispered as you are attuned with me. So, here is the scripture again, Matthew chapter 10, verse 27. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. So my question for you is, are you setting aside time to seek this kingdom of God, which is Jesus said is within you, within us? Are you taking time to seek that first? I don't necessarily, I, I believe there is some real value in doing this early in the morning before it is daylight. I do think there is some significance to that, but it's I don't I don't think it's the only way. But is are you experiencing time of solitude, being alone, going within, experiencing the the calmness of your mind? He leads us beside still waters. Rather than the rushing flow of thoughts, he brings us thoughts of peace. Are you experiencing a transfiguration state on a daily basis in your life where you feel and sense and see and 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 see I don't necessarily know with your eyes although I think that may come but are you able to transfigure into a state that is more peaceful and seemingly more spiritual and more calm and more joy filled and that that begins to detach you from the fear the anxiety, the worry, the doubt. Early in the morning, before it is daylight, or at the start of your day, 
Or if, if that's too much for you, can you just eke out five to 10 minutes every day to just be alone? Maybe sit in the parking lot, just sit in the front seat of your car, get into a comfortable position, and just sit there and just focus either on your breath, focus on anything going on within your body. Can you feel the, the, the sensation of the bottom of your feet touching your sock? If you have socks on or your shoes or the, bottom, or the carpet of the floor of the car or wherever you may be, just, just start tuning into what's going on and the sensation and the energy within you. One of the things that had really helped me in this process is attuning to my heart space. And one of the ways that that has been the most beneficial to me is by being intentional with my breathing at first and then placing my hand on my chest in over top of my heart and and getting a good sense and a feeling and a notice and awareness of my heart beating within me. And and what I would recommend is is a couple of deep inhaled breaths, but they are slow. And then hold for just as long as you can. You know, or you don't try too much. 3 to 5 seconds is great to start. And then slowly let that breath out. So it goes something like this. This slow, intentional breathing slows down our heart rate. And then I just place my hand on my chest and I invite you to do the same. And just sit there in in as much silence as you can. Ignore all of the sounds and the distractions and people walking by and whatever you hear in the background. But just go within, no matter what's going on around you, sounds of kids yelling or birds singing or anything else, whatever distractions are there, you wherever you are right now doing this practice, just do these deep breaths and then put your hand on your chest and just wait until you can sense your heart beating. And when you sense that heart beating, try to stay focused on it. Just sit there in the in the quietness of that moment. And if you get distracted and thoughts come up and you're like, oh my gosh, is there somebody walking by? Are they seeing me sit here in my car or wherever I'm at? 
Just acknowledge, don't feel bad about that. It's not that you're bad at meditation or anything like that. It's just normal. It starts, I experienced this a ton when I started. But um, just just bring your heart, your your awareness back into your heart space. Maybe if you need to, get back into some slow, intentional breathing and just feel just fo- if you if you can't feel your heartbeat just the mo- for the just that moment then just go back to the intentional breathing put the focus back on the breathing and focus on the sensation of the air entering your nostrils and then go ahead and breathe out your nose and feel the air as it's going through the nasal cavity and just focus on the breath for a little bit and then just put your heart hand back on your chest and see if you can't get back to that sensation and that awareness of your heart beating, the sound of your heart beating, the feeling, the pulsing of the energy bringing life to your entire physical form and your entire energetic form that's beyond the physical senses, the astral form where you are one with Christ, in Christ, Christ consciousness. And don't be surprised that as all of a sudden the the thoughts of worry, the thoughts of fear, the thoughts of anxiety, the worries about tomorrow, the feelings about the resentment of a past experience, don't be surprised if all of a sudden you find yourself fully in the present moment. And then the still waters of your mind, the the peaceful thoughts. I am here with you always till the end. Be anxious about nothing. I know your needs. I know your circumstances. Have faith. Here in this space, ask for anything and it will be provided. Ask with faith. Ask knowing that this presence, that I, the Father, and you here in Christ are one. And that in this space, in this name, in this experience, you and I can co-create. You and I are one. That's what I wanted to share from my journal today. In Christ. Cliff.